there's an obstacle course that is, uh, it's Marine Corps wide. Everybody does the same obstacle course. It's built the same way, no matter which base you're at. And there's a different standard for men versus women. So some of these obstacles are tall. It's a little bit harder to get over. So they put boxes there for women to get over them. The first time we did this as a platoon, there's a few women in the platoon and they all use the box, scampered over. Ryan comes up to the thing and boots it like it was a soccer ball. Thing goes flying 20 yards off to the side. And then she goes and does the course exactly like every other man in the platoon and beat most of us. And I think that that's really worth pointing out. Like you held yourself to the Marine Corps standard, not to the Marine Corps standard for women. It was, hey, if this is the standard that has to be achieved, this is what I'm going to achieve. And actually, by the way, I'm going to exceed it. These are stories of outdoor adventure and expert advice from folks with calloused hands. I'm James Nash, and this is the Six Ranch Podcast. The Six Ranch Podcast is brought to you by Sig Sauer. SIG is a leading provider and manufacturer of firearms, electro-optics, ammunition, air guns, and suppressors. For over 250 years, SIG Sauer Inc. has evolved and thrived by blending American ingenuity, German engineering, and Swiss precision. Today, SIG Sauer is synonymous with industry-leading quality and innovation, which has made it the brand of choice amongst the U.S. military the global defense community, law enforcement, competitive shooters, hunters, and responsible citizens. Sig Sauer is also a premier provider of elite firearms instruction and tactical training at the Sig Sauer Academy located in New Hampshire. For more information about Sig Sauer and its complete line of products, visit SigSauer.com. Well, I'm pretty excited to be able to introduce you folks to Ryan Ingholm. Ryan is an absolute badass. Uh, we met in Quantico at the basic school um, and have known each other ever since. She came out here and visited me once in Oregon. It was really fun. We had a great time. And was that your first rodeo? I, I knew you were going to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first rodeo. Yeah. It's the best one. It's the best one I've been to because it's been the only one so far. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me your life story. Where does it begin for you? Where do you feel like your story starts? Yeah. Um, well, I have to have to start the story with my my good old Midwest roots. I think uh, I think we have to put a little plug in there, but. I grew up in Minnesota and uh, and went to school down in Iowa uh, for college. And then, you know, as as one does going to school down in Iowa, sometimes you get a little bored and you get uh, get to wondering what you can do during the summer for fun. And I decided to go to OCS. And uh, what did you study in college? Yeah, I uh, I studied exercise science with a background in um and just overall health promotion. And I spent a lot of time in the weight room. Actually, I was uh, one of the intern strength and conditioning coaches for the college. So I did that uh, through my sophomore, junior and senior years. And so that was, uh, that was a fun time. And, 
yeah, a lot of, a lot of learning, I think in that, uh, that realm, I had some really great coaches, um, that, uh, that didn't really see me as like a, a female trying to coach all of these, a lot of times men's sports teams, they were just like, yeah, oh, this is a strength and conditioning coach. You know, she plays softball, our softball team's fantastic. You know, you should listen to her. Um, and so that was, that was kind of a neat kind of environment, I think, to, to really grow up in. Yeah. And you also played hockey, you were weightlifting competitively, right? No hockey. My dad, you didn't play hockey. My dad wishes I played hockey. You know, I'm from Minnesota and it's just, you know, it's a, it's a shame. Um, I played softball. I played softball in college. Yeah. Oh, how did I get that wrong? I think it's a Minnesota thing. Every, you yeah. know, and especially we just, we just assume that you're playing hockey and eating walleye and, you know, talking about cheese and whatever else goes on. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So you're studying exercise science. There's a few different ways to become an officer in the Marine Corps. You have to have a college degree for all of them. Um, but you know, there's a couple different ways that you can go through officer candidate school. I went through a single 10 week long program and you did two different courses, right? I, I ended up doing the, the 10 week program as oh, well. You did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, my college was so small, we didn't have an ROTC. Um, so I just ended up going in between my junior and senior year of college and uh, went back to school for my senior year and decided it was something I really wanted to pursue after I graduated. So then I ended up commissioning and then waiting a full year um, to end up going to the basic school afterwards because it was pretty backed up at the time. So what did you do to stay current and stay in shape for that year between commissioning and starting the basic school? Oh man. You know, when I finished up OCS and finished up my senior year of college, um, you know, and it's like, well, beyond 10 years past that, I still kick myself that I didn't uh, run more, but I've never been much of a runner. I don't think it's that essential of a skill. <laughs> like how often does that even come in handy? Almost this is never. This is very yeah, true. It's a good form of exercise, kind of. I mean, it's like the most dangerous sport out there in terms of uh, the number of injuries that occur. And uh, mm-hmm. people can't help but look goofy while they're doing it. But yeah, man, I don't know. I'm not sold on running. I had to do a bunch of like wind sprints at the shooting competition I was just at. Still a little bit butthurt about it because I'm so fat and it was such high altitude. Um, <laughs> it was just brutal. <laughs> I was dry heaving in front of everybody. <laughs> oh, man. It was terrible. Uh, but like never, ever have I had to just sprint up a hill while hunting so that I could, you know, get a shot off really quickly. Maybe that'll happen someday and I'll eat my words, but yeah. Anyways. So you weren't doing a lot of running. I was, I was trying. Um, but yeah, as a, as you and I can both attest to, you can, you can make it, you know, without having to do an excessive amount of running. So I really tried to just do enough, but I remember, getting into the gym, um, and just trying to, to do what I could early mornings. A lot of times going back to the old high school gym, ended up getting a part-time job, part-time gig at the, uh, at the deli while I was, uh, waiting to, to ship out. But yeah, just, uh, just kind of just trying to take it one day at a time with doing what I could just waiting, waiting around to, to go. I didn't even know that there was a program that could defer you like that. Like I thought that 
everybody who went through the 10 week long OCC course went straight into, you know, big Marine Corps, but you did a whole year of school and then a whole year of waiting after that. That's, that's crazy. That's a lot of commitment and a lot of time for something to go wrong. That's one of the Mm -hmm. biggest things out there is like, once you get somebody in the Marine Corps pipeline, you want to keep really close control of them because they're like almost definitely going to go get in trouble somewhere and cause a bunch of headaches, heartaches, and problems. Um, Mm -hmm. Not you, I'm not talking about you, but you know, the general Marine would probably find a way to get in trouble over the course of two years. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think for me, it was, I, I was really looking for, some leadership experience um, to help with going into my my last and final year of college, uh, being a captain on the softball team, and I was like, well, you know, they say these these Marines are pretty good at that leadership thing, so I'll just go ahead and see what I can I can learn here, and didn't really have an intention at the time to to continue on with it, and so ended up coming back for my senior year, and uh, afterwards, I mean. I feel like going into your senior year after having experienced OCS is a pretty eye-opening thing. Um, definitely saw the world a little differently after that. And so, you know, it was for me, once I graduated, I was like, well, this actually seems like a pretty, pretty good decision. And now even a year later, I can, you know, in full, full confidence, full faith, say, this is what I really want to do. And so that was a pretty awesome feeling. Okay. So now the basic school starts and the basic school is a six month long course where every officer learns the fundamentals of becoming an infantry officer, because as every Marine is a rifleman, whether they're a water filtration specialist or a cook or an actual infantryman, they need to be able to be a rifleman. They need to learn how an infantry platoon works. And the same thing is expected of officers because the Marine Corps is a combat organization. So we all need to be able to do this job, but more than anything, you need to be able to understand what the job is. And if you think that you're going to end up being a logistician or some other thing, there's a good chance that if you deploy, you're going to end up in some type of capacity where you're going to have to lead your troops in a combat type situation. So that's what the basic school really is. Um, I look at officer candidate school, especially the OCC course, as like a trial to see if you can physically and mentally endure just a bunch of bull crap at once. And can you be really tired and be hurt and be sick and still function at a reasonably high level, given a huge amount of other stressors? And then you start really learning stuff at the basic school. I feel like we were both blessed and cursed to be under the tutelage of Mark Vloshen because that guy expected a lot of us, but he offered a lot in return as well. He did. I, I feel super grateful that, uh, that we were in, in his platoon. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it was, you know, whether you, you call it luck or whatever you call it, you know, I think, um, you know, for me, I've been able to find at least one, one person, one mentor, coach, whatever it may be along my, my path in life that I'm just like, wow, you know, they, they don't have all the answers, but they don't need to. And this is a really fantastic example of, of leadership and how can I really try to take a look at how to combine some of the things that, that I really admire about this individual into, 
you know, becoming my own sense of who I want to show up as a leader. Yeah. And he was really good about that. Whereas at OCS, they're like, hey, be exactly this. All of you Mm -hmm. be the same thing. Under Captain Vloshin at the time, he really wanted us to develop individually as we were. And he brought all of us into his office individually a lot. Like sometimes I was seeing that guy every single week, one-on-one, just, just trying to, uh, to figure things out. And he was really there for us. The rest of the platoons in the company, I think, hated him and hated our entire platoon because when everybody else was done and ready to secure for the day or for the weekend, a lot of times we we're just getting into the classroom and, and starting up something new because he wanted to take that time to teach us and, and make us as ready as we could possibly be for what was coming next. And he knew better than we did what that was. Yep. Right. He just understood. He just understood that even though we had six months of time together, it was, you know, every moment that he had, he was gonna, he was really going to give us his best and try to just get everything out um, that he could, that he thought would be valuable to us. And, you know, I think that really takes a lot of dedication, you know, on his part, you know, I, whether it was the instructors at OCS or, or even, you know, Captain Vlashen at the time, it was like, wow, you know, if you can take one second to, you know, turn away from how uncomfortable it is for, for you or, you know, how much you're going through or how tired you are and how you just want to shower and hit the rack. It's like, wow, you know, the instructors are putting in 10 times more to just impart everything that they can on us before we don't get a chance to anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. What leadership lessons did you learn at the basic school when, when we were in the same platoon together that you feel like you still use in your life, like on the daily? That's a good question. Oh man. Um, so I feel like there are always things that seem to kind of sprinkle in here and there. I think what I really, there was one period of instruction I remember that we, that we got from Captain Vlashen where our, our leadership traits and, um, and values, those were, were things that were drilled into our heads, you know, throughout. But I remember he, he was such an avid reader. Like he always had a book with him. I remember that. And just, I think it just happened to be something that he was reading at the time. And, you know, just taking a little bit of a different perspective to it, just stepping outside the box a little bit. I remember he started talking to us about, well, you know, these leadership traits and principles are great, but, you know, also have you thought about, have you thought about this? You know, don't confine yourselves just to what the Marine Corps tells you is important you know, it is important. It's important to learn. It's important to study, but also you, you can't just be so concrete that you're not ever, you know, adapting, evolving, being flexible, you know, continually learning. Um, and so I've definitely taken that. I feel like on a daily basis, you know, how can I continue to grow? How can I go into every day and somehow just feel a little uncomfortable every day? And because when you feel a little bit uncomfortable, it means you're probably learning something new. You're growing, you're stretching your boundaries a little bit. 
Um, so I think that's definitely something that, that I take with me every day from, from that. Yeah. I remember, uh, stepping off for, a. I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was cold outside and a bunch of people were, were wearing more gear than they should have. And he told us that we shouldn't be trying to be warm. Uh, we should be trying to be comfortably cool. <laughs> and uh, I think that's such a fun thing to say, be comfortably cool. Mm-hmm. And he had this little smirk when, when he would say things like that, that he felt like were his little signature things to say. <laughs> <laughs> Cracked me up. But I think about it all the time. And uh, hunters have a saying that is, uh, be bold, start cold. And everybody gets out of the truck and they're cold and they put on, you know, every layer that they brought with them and you walk 200 yards and you're sweating your bullets off. And, you know, now you've got to stop and strip down and your, you know, layers against your skin are wet. Now you're even colder. It's like, no, start off comfortably cool and keep comfortably cool all day long. Lots, lots of little Vlashnisms. Okay. So at the basic school, Marine officers are competing for their jobs and they're competing academically, physically, and, um, by their, their leadership scores as they go through that school. What job did you end up with? I ended up as a logistics officer, which is absolutely critical, critically important. And I'm sure that you picked up a lot of skills in that job that you get to continue using today. It's uh yeah definitely a jack of all trades master of none I think is what they really like to to call it and so it's just you know whatever whatever the mission is you are you're doing a ton of multitasking a ton of coordination communications huge it's definitely a lot of great skill sets from that from that job yeah yeah the most fundamental way that we talk about logistics in the Marine Corps is uh, beans bullets band aids and bad guys so. Food. There's a reason that that uh, that food comes first. Napoleon said that an army marches on its stomach. Very important to keep troops fed. But food goes bigger than that. It's like all the things that they need to function and to live. Bullets is all of your munitions. Obviously, that's pretty critical in uh, in combat. Making sure that the troops have everything they need to be able to shoot against their enemy. That's always been important in warfare. And then uh, band-aids is everything within, uh, within somebody getting hurt. Like, how do you get somebody off of a battlefield? How do you get them help? Like, those are very, very critical logistics. And then bad guys, sometimes we don't kill the enemy. And now we have a live person that we've just uh, adopted against their will and have to figure out what to do with them. Again, logistically, very, very difficult. Like you're in this super remote, hot, cold, jungle, mountain, whatever environment. And now you've got a guy that doesn't want to be there that was your enemy 30 seconds earlier. And you just detained him. Now what? It's hard. You call, mm-hmm. a, log- you call a logistician and be like, hey, Ryan, I got this guy. Help me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny how it just it kind of ends up becoming the it's just like the unit problem solver, no matter what it is. And I I remember there were actually a couple international exercises that I got a chance to be a part of. And yeah, it just never, you know, never surprised me what kind of request I'd get. It'd be like, hey, we need a coffee pot. 
let's go ask the logistician. They, she'll be able to find us coffee. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> and, you know, it's, I did it, figured it out. But yeah. like, really? Come on. <laughs> yeah. I hear these stories from, uh, from Evan Hafer about like the coffee shenanigans that he did while he was in the army. And they got like a full on super expensive, like cappuccino making machine. It's like, dude, we couldn't even get food. We ate goats for three months and you're like (laughs) making a macchiato out there. Freaking army. Those guys, they get whatever they want. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why Marines are full of hate and discontent. (laughs) (laughs) We operate well on it though. We do. We do. Drinking our mud. So you end up, uh, you ended up in a similar AO to me. AO is an area of operations in Afghanistan. That was a little bit different program and a little bit different role for you. Tell me about that. It was. It's, uh, it was with a female engagement team. So essentially a, a specialized unit that was an all-female all unit. Um, and we were attached to all-male infantry units. Um, and uh, so we had buddy pairs of two spread throughout the area of operations. Um, and my team was in the, the north part of Helmand province where, uh, where we ended up taking on quite a bit of uh, activity, um, if you will. And so, you know, just knowing that it's a, it's a very, very different, very interesting role, um, you know, for women in, uh, in the Marine Corps, but also compounding that with just everything you kind of had going on. It was, it was an interesting time. That's for sure. Didn't you have to deal with a suicide bomber in a bazaar? That was one of my teams. Yes. Okay. Yep. And uh, I think the hardest part for me with that was just not actually being able to be there physically. And you know, right. I would have, would have given anything to have been there and to know that, uh, that my team, one of my teams had to go through it was, uh, it was just hard not being there. What happened there? Um, well, essentially it had a suicide bomber come into the bazaar. Um, bazaar is like a marketplace marketplace. Yes. So the, the Marines were on a patrol and, uh, ended up detonating essentially in the middle of the, the patrol middle of the marketplace and, uh, some casualties, um, two Marines, I believe were killed and, um, one of one of my Marines out of the buddy pair, she she took shrapnel to her backside and um, just, you know, not not just having gone through something like that psychologically, um, you know, but very physically, you know, going through something like that. It's, uh, you know, not being able to be there when she was, you know, essentially getting treatment um, just to make sure they're OK. Uh, that was tough. Yeah. Um, one of the things that is interesting about where we were in northern Helmand of Afghanistan, Helmand is a is the southernmost province in Afghanistan. It's pretty big. I think Helmand is about the size of Texas, if I remember correctly. Sounds about right. So we're in the in the northern portion of that, and the the folks there don't consider themselves Afghans. They consider themselves Pashtun. Um, they don't think that they're living in Afghanistan. They think they're living in Pashtunistan. The literacy rate was around 3%. So it's not 
even fair to call it like Sharia law or fundamentalist Islam, because it, it's just a corruption of all of that. Um, they're just basing their religion on whoever the imam is at the time that's, you know, hollering over loudspeakers or, or talking to them because they can't read. They can't back any of this stuff up. They don't know if it's actually true or not. So they just take the guy's word for it. So it's really susceptible to corruption in a culture where corruption is is the norm. It's not even necessarily a bad thing. It's just how business is conducted. But within that, it is a big problem if I, as a man, search a female um, Afghan. Like, that's a very, very big problem. However, if a female Marine does it, it's much, much less of a problem. So was that a big part of your role within that female engagement team? Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, and I think at the beginning, that really was the main focus, especially definitely through our, throughout our whole training. It was, you know, we are providing, you know, a service essentially to um, all male infantry units that can't have this dialogue with essentially maybe 50% of the population that they'd be engaging with um, because women are not allowed to speak to males outside of their bloodline. And so having the women on these patrols, you know, they were able to have surveillance overnight, essentially maybe on a compound on the roof of a compound um, because they had female Marines present and they were able to negotiate with the family and say, you know, Hey, it's safe for us to be here. We have, we have our female Marines here. You know, they will ensure that, you know, none, no funny business happens. Essentially they're, they're here to, um, to ensure that, you know, we're, we're all on the same page. Um, but definitely from a searching standpoint as well, you know, clearly if you can't even speak to a man outside of your bloodline, then it definitely gets very sensitive when it comes to searches at checkpoints and different things of that nature. Um, and I think something that ended up becoming more of a, you know, later developed um, uniqueness to having the women involved was that uh, the women could speak to the men, the Afghan men, just as well, if not sometimes better than some of the males, because you don't have a testosterone to testosterone interaction happening. You have a little different way of, of being able to negotiate. And they, the men in that culture, didn't look at us as as women that would be at the same level as, as their women, they almost looked at us as like a third sex, if you will. Yeah. I remember sitting at a checkpoint one time and uh, it was Afghan national army, Afghan national police. I can't remember that we're actually doing the check-in and me and my wingman were sitting there um, both in tanks on either side of this road. And we were securing this bridge site and uh, the CBs, you know, the engineering wing of, of the Navy, uh, they were coming in and building this bridge to connect two different districts, Sangin and Musakela. Is that the other district? Musakela was mm-hmm. a village, but I think it was a district as well, maybe. Anyways, it's where probably some of, if not the very heaviest fighting in, in the country occurred. We were trying to build this bridge so that both of these areas could vote on the upcoming election, right? 3% literacy rate. And it's like, Hey, here's democracy. Best of luck. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, this person came through and 
I got on the radio and my my wingman's named Jack Ramson. And I was like, Jack, does this pregnant chick look weird to you? Mm-hmm. And it was like for sure a dude that was just smuggling stuff dressed as a woman or like the lumpiest not carrying pregnancy weight in the right place mm-hmm. gal ever. <laughs> and we were helpless. You know, we didn't have a woman there. It would have been a big deal to stop that individual. So mm-hmm. it's like, all right, whatever you're smuggling, like go on with your day. We'll just watch, I guess that's super cool. So what you were providing was, was really important. Were you going out on those patrols and stuff yourself as well? I was really good at uh, getting off of my base to try to uh, make it around to see my different teams. Um, so whenever I was out visiting them, talking, talking my boss into letting me go, I was like, yeah, they need, uh, I'm like, what do you guys need? Coffee Dip? pot. Yeah. Like you, <laughs> and I was like all these, all these gals that are like, we need dip. And I'm like, what? yeah like (laughs) i was like all right you got it so i'm just like going out with this whole suitcase full of rolls of dip um going to see see my teams and every time i I got an opportunity i was going on on patrols with them so so you ended up in you know a sort of an infantry role as a logistics officer but also as a woman and i think that that's worth pointing out now I'm curious about your opinion on women in combat because you've seen it more than anyone that I know. I'm going to give a little bit of background on Ryan here. There's an obstacle course that is, uh, it's Marine Corps wide. Everybody does the same obstacle course. It's built the same way, no matter which base you're at. And there's a different standard for men versus women. So some of these obstacles are tall. It's a little bit harder to get over. So they put boxes there for women to get over them. The first time we did this as a platoon, there's a few women in the platoon and they all use the box scampered over. Ryan comes up to the thing and boots it like it was a soccer ball. Thing goes flying 20 yards off to the side. And then she goes and does the course exactly like every other man in the platoon and beat most of us. And I think that that's really worth pointing out. Like you held yourself to the Marine Corps standard, not to the Marine Corps standard for women. It was, hey, if this is the standard that has to be achieved, this is what I'm going to achieve. And actually, by the way, I'm going to exceed it. We had to carry, God, I can't remember how far we had to carry Agnew, that big bitch. Can you remember that? (laughs) He was huge. He was huge. And Everybody else was taking turns packing that guy. Uh, I think except for you, like you held on to that dude the entire time. That was incredible. So embracing the suck. <laughs> all that said, uh, women in combat. What do you think? Well, you know, I think you know it's it's <laughs> it's been a hot topic for a while. You know, it, it continues to be. I think. I think part of the female engagement team that I was a part of um, going on over 10 years ago now, I think at the time it was almost a little test, you know, for them to say, okay, well, we kind of need this group to provide this service for us, but at the same time, we're going to kind of test it out and see how it goes. And, you know, having, having spent some time in the infantry in this role, having, having served with women that, that didn't go through infantry training, you know, aside from just the special pre-deployment package that we, we all went through. 
um, you know, they, they all surpassed expectations. And I think, you know, not just for our leadership um, on the team, but, you know, and then it took some time uh, for them to really kind of show what they could do and, and build that confidence um, with the, the male units that they were working with. But I got such great feedback from the men that they were working with. And they were like, man, they started looking at them as not just female Marines, you know, that I would, I would get email after email when I'm getting ready to type out their, their fitness reports, their performance evaluations. And, you know, they, they would address them as, you know, this is one hell of a Marine, you know, not one hell of a female Marine. Right. You know, and I think that mental shift of just what is the standard and how do we hold everyone to it regardless of gender? So that's one thing that I'm, that I'm curious about. Um, do you think there should be a different physical standard for, for female Marines versus male Marines? No. How come? Cause I, I think it ends up creating that separation from the get go, you know, and I, and I think, I think it ends up being a tough road to climb throughout a career, you know, and the way that, that we move through units, especially on active duty, um, as, as officers, you know, you're with a unit, you know, maybe three years and then on to the next one, on to the next one, on to the next one. And it's kind of this ever having to prove yourself kind of a thing. It seems like, because, you know, nobody, nobody knows what I did at the basic school. Nobody knows that I kicked over that box and decided to to do it my way, to do my own thing and to hold myself to a different standard, you know? And so they're just assuming that I did it the other way. Yeah. And so, and it's a wrong assumption, but we all, we all have those unconscious biases, you know, that's just kind of part of being human. So then it's, you know, how do we just create a more even playing field? And that doesn't mean that we should, lower the standard for everybody. It means, you know, just like what Captain Vlashen expected of our platoon, we hold everybody to a higher standard. Yeah. You know, he didn't bring me into his office and go, okay, female Marine, let's, let's chat. It was, you know, I see you the same way as I see every single other member of this platoon. Well, you earned that because there, there was a difference, if I'm being completely honest, there was a difference in how we treated, you know, some of the females in our platoon versus how we treated you. And that difference was based on how you conducted yourself and the standard that you held yourself to. And making the decision to hold yourself to a higher standard than, than was required, I would like to think that that is universally a good thing that that no matter where you're at in the world or what organization you're in, that if somebody holds themselves to a higher standard than what, what's expected, that everybody's going to be like, that's, that's the person we want. We want them right there. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's always the case, but in the Marine Corps, it damn sure is. It damn sure is. I'm proud of you. Uh, if, if there would have been a little box there for me to jump over, I probably would have used a little box. <laughs> that shit was hard. I'm going to make you one for Christmas. I'll send it to you. <laughs> I'm not, dude, there was a little obstacle course <laughs> over at, uh, um, at the Sig Sauer Academy. And I was out there with a good Marine buddy of mine. Um, 
bam, bam. And we were going from one, uh, one shooting stage to another. And we saw this obstacle course and we started to kind of go through it a little bit. And then we got to the rope climb and I started to go up and I was like, I, I can't do it. I can't, I can't do it. And he, he, you know, he said something officer related and I was like, all right, let's see it. And he couldn't do it either. Like a decades, <laughs> a long time as it turns out. Yeah. It's been a minute. It is. So another thing that's, uh, that I feel like we need to talk about is that you came into the Marine Corps during don't ask, don't tell don't ask, don't tell was repealed. Well, you and I were both in and, and you came out while you're active duty. How do you feel like that affected you personally? Like what was that experience like? Cause it was a really precarious time socially during, during the military for, for all service branches. Yeah, it definitely was. Yeah. It's definitely coming into the Marine Corps under don't ask, don't tell. It was, it was interesting for a little while. I ended up, um, and, and I was in a relationship when I, when I first joined and, um, I I remember just being on the phone every once in a while with my girlfriend at the time and, uh, and just getting some comments from, from different Marines that I was training with. And they're like, wow, you have a really interesting relationship with your brother. (laughs) So I just told everybody I was on the phone with my brother. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I can see how you, you probably think that, you know, and I feel, I feel like you know, no one really got to know, not just the real me, you know, it's, there, there are a lot of things to everyone, of course, not just their, their sexual orientation, but, you know, I don't think anybody got to really know the authentic me, you know, or just like the, the whole picture in that time. And then, and then when it was repealed, I, I think it was still hard for me to, to be my authentic self, even after it was okay to do so. Um, and so I, it was a lot of times I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk about it. Um, and, uh, just felt, felt still pretty isolated. Yeah. I think I was home from deployment at wounded warrior battalion. When you told me, um, that you're gay, I was like, yeah, you're like really i was like yeah really like i mean kind of knew that and like who who cares good Mm -hmm. for you i'm into chicks too let's talk about it (laughs) (laughs) you know more to talk about (laughs) (laughs) but uh but no i i really i felt for you and i continue to it's something that i think about because if i had to if I had to go into such a stressful situation and feel like, Hey, who I am right now is not legally acceptable. That would suck. That would be terrible. And the fact that you were able to do that and navigate it so gracefully has earned you even more admiration from me um, than I already have. I think you, you handled it really well and dude, good on you for willing to step up and serve despite all of that. I appreciate that. I think, um, yeah, I think it was one of those things where I knew, I knew priority wise, um, it felt like the right thing to do to still serve. It felt like the right thing 
yeah, I mean, really bottom line, it just felt like the, the priority in my life, the right thing to do. Um, there was definitely some risk involved in that, but I, I just really wanted to do something more with my individual life to, to affect, you know, other people's lives to, uh, to make a difference. And, you know, and then this, this is the way that I wanted to do it. And I was like, you know, I guess this is a sacrifice I'm willing to make at this time and hopefully it changes, but you know, I know that this is, this is still worth it. Yeah. Well, what's going on with your life now? What's this chapter look like? This chapter looks, uh, looks pretty great. <laughs> Living down in, uh, in Rochester, back in Minnesota, somehow we always are us Minnesotans always end up making it back here. But uh, my fiance and I were getting married here next August. Uh, so we're looking forward to some extended planning for that. Uh, we live here with our two dogs and our cat. <laughs> In a really teeny townhouse, so okay. <laughs> makes it fun. Nice. Um, yeah, working as a, an occupational therapist at a Mayo Clinic, and uh, and Jesse, um, my fiance, she works as a, a branch office administrator for a financial firm here, and we are actually in the process of uh, starting our own small business uh, to create a little bit more change uh, for the better, hopefully in our community uh, for young adults between like ages of 18 to 26 that have really been hit hard by the impacts of COVID over the last few years, uh, trying to, trying to help them out and give them some tools that, uh, they can use to help kickstart this next kind of chapter in their life as we're hopefully starting to really come out of the pandemic and, and I just, uh, reinvigorating their, their lives a little bit. And I imagine, uh, you're, leaning back on a lot of those leadership skills and lessons that you acquired in the Marine Corps. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think uh, something that's been pretty great uh, to learn from being here um, at Mayo as well, but I was in mental health when I first got here for the first two years and since transitioned to a more general medicine for occupational therapy. But you know, just being able to lead groups in that setting and really gaining a lot of great tools that I can, I can apply, but also really combining that, that military, you know, Marine Corps, how can I really make this my own and, and valuable and not have to be super confined by like an institution, let's say, kind of, kind of combining all of, all of the great pieces of life into something that's worthwhile for people. That's awesome. How can people support you in that? They can follow us on uh, Facebook and Instagram if they so so choose uh, Catalyst Group MN. And uh, yeah, we are actually maybe pray for us a little bit too. We're actually going in for a, a pitch competition uh, next Thursday um, to hopefully gain some funds to help with uh, starting starting up in addition to some mentorship as well. Um, so right now we're guaranteed 10,000 and uh, we just have to, uh, to pitch our, our business essentially to the board to see if we can bump that a little higher. So just be thinking about us sending, sending good vibes. Awesome. Well, I'll, I, I don't know what, 
I don't even know what vibes are. People keep talking <laughs> about this. What are these vibes? Yeah. People talk about vibing like it's a like it's an actual activity. I don't know. I can't keep up, but I do wish you every success. And I think that your pitch is going to go really well because I've seen you have to speak under uh, more stressful circumstances than these and you crushed it. So I think you've probably only polished that skill since then. I sure hope so. Hope you're right. Thanks for the vote of confidence. I appreciate it. For those folks who are out there and for whatever it is in their life and they're kind of struggling figuring out who they are and how they fit in. And maybe that doesn't quite mesh with, uh, with their current situation. What advice do you have for them? Don't give up, you know, just, just keep trying, keep plugging away, find, find your support. Um, you know, I think, I think really what I've learned, uh, over the years is that, you know, individually, you know, we, we can get hit with a lot, you know, we can go through a lot, a lot of unexpected things. And, you know, I think the only thing that, uh, that can really make it worse is not having people around you to support you, you know, and, and for me, it's, I don't know what's ahead in the future, but I know that no matter what it is, I'll make it through because I have good people around me. And so I think my biggest piece of advice is, you know, just, whatever you can do to try to be your authentic self, you know, and sometimes it's hard, um, but finding ways to be able to be vulnerable and kind of show those pieces here and there to find those good quality people that are going to stand by your side, no matter what. Um, I think that's super important. Well, and you know that if you personally ever get jammed up, that there is a full platoon of, Marine officers, former and current, that would show up as soon as they got the phone call. That's a good group to have behind you. You guys are great. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to go up against that that team. That's for damn sure. So. No, can you imagine? That'd be terrible. I would, man, that'd be like that'd be like a Marvel Marvel movie of some sort. Like, <laughs> you're gonna need some editing. Yeah, probably. For sure. Yeah. I'd be like Thor or something. I don't know. Who'd yeah. you be? Hulk, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. I'd probably be like, <laughs> I don't know, on the light crew or something. <laughs> well, Ryan, um, it's awesome to catch up with you. I'm really proud of, of everything that you've accomplished since getting out of the Marines and everything that you did while you're in. It's a privilege to know you, privilege to have the conversation. And uh, yeah, good luck with the business. Like that's going to be great. And, and congrats on getting married. That's going to be fun too. Thank you. appreciate it. And, and likewise to you, it's, it's been great talking to you and it's yeah, just watching, watching everything you've been doing over the last decade. It's been pretty awesome. So yeah. Yeah. Crushing it. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, we'll catch up again soon. Don't be a stranger. All right. Same to you. I'll make it your way eventually here for another uh, rodeo visit. Sounds good. I'm working on building a house this year, which is something that I know nothing about. And I love that. It's exciting. Uh, everything is a new challenge and there's lots of challenges that pop up. The other day we we're laying out rebar and getting ready to pour concrete for the foundation of the shop that's going to be next to the house. And one of the guys that was there that was helping one of the construction crewmen, I looked over and he had a Stanley thermos sitting on the end of the trailer. 
I said, how do you like that thing? And he goes, oh, I love it. I've had it for a decade. It's like, you know, if you find any environment where people are out there working hard, working hard with their hands outside, no matter the conditions, you're probably going to see a Stanley product there. It's something that just goes with that blue collar labor because that's what this product is doing. It is out there working just as hard as you are. It's going to be there as long as you are. It's going to be there after you're done. It's something that that I feel passionate about with every piece of gear that I take either into the woods or into the workplace. Like It's got to be able to outwork me and I work really hard myself. If you are also a hard worker, and I'm sure that you are, then you could probably appreciate the same type of gear. If you go to stanley1913.com and you use the discount code 6RANCH, that's the number six in the word ranch, you can get 25% off just about any of their products. And I encourage you to do that. They're a great supporter of this show and a great supporter of this audience. Again, I love you guys. And I just want to pass this, uh, this discount and the savings on to you. If you want something from Stanley, I encourage you to get it. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share the show with a friend. You can also rate the podcast and leave a review. Your support allows me to keep doing what I love, which is meeting incredible folks and sharing their stories with you. For more content and photos, follow the show on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast or me at Six Ranch Outfitters. This episode was produced by Emily Brannigan with original music written and performed by Justin Hay. Art for the Six Ranch Podcast was created by John Chatelain and digitized by Celia Christofferson. Tune in every Monday for a brand new episode of the Six Ranch Podcast. I'll catch you next week.